Hello, my name is Charles Wright, and welcome to the Complete in Christ podcast, where we endeavor to fit the pieces of our lives together according to the Word of God. We've just kicked off this new series called Get Right Church and Let's Go Home, exploring the phenomenon where believers and non-believers have become disillusioned with the church because of their inability to reconcile their notion of what the church is and should be about with their observation of and experience with a local church body. Last episode, we discussed what exactly the church is, according to scripture. In today's episode, we're going to begin talking about the three groups that can be found in every church. So let's get to it. Now, just by way of reminder and a bit of a level set, uh, remember in our last episode, we talked about that the church was um, owned and built by Jesus, Matthew 16 and 18, where Jesus has a conversation with Peter and he says, upon this rock, I shall build my church. It indicates to us that the church belongs to Jesus and is actually built by Jesus. And then we also looked at how in Ephesians, uh, the first chapter, verses 20 through 22 through 23, Paul describes Christ as being the head of the church and that the church is actually the body of Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, Paul goes on to explain that the body is actually made up of individuals who have been baptized into one body by the Holy Spirit. And so again, right, kind of thinking about this and looking back at what we've talked about and what scripture lets us know is that the church is not established by men. Yes, of course, uh, when we think about the local church, we see pastors and elders and we see people kind of facilitating and running the church. But scripture makes it very clear that the church, the church, the capital T, capital C church is owned and built by Jesus. Jesus is the head of that church and its members aren't just people who show up on Sundays. It's not people whose families have been going there a long time. But there's actually a very specific way of entry into the body of Christ, the church, and that is through baptism by the Holy Spirit. But the other thing we see through scripture is that the church is a spiritual phenomenon. Again, not established by men, but established by not physical means, but by spiritual means. It finds its beginnings, it finds its purpose, it finds its existence in the person and in the power of Jesus Christ. The church is a new community, literally, in Christ. It is a continuation of the people of God or the Old Testament referenced people of God, and it is intended to reflect the character and the nature of Christ, which by extension is the character and nature of God. And even though it physically manifests itself in a given space and time. Yes, there's a church on uh, the corner in every downtown or in your neighborhood, in your city and in, in, in wherever you happen to live, right? But we've already established and we've talked about how it is built by Christ, it's filled by Christ and is the body of Christ. The church ultimately transcends space and time just by that definition of, of what it is. So just think about it, right? We said it's not established by men. It's not a physical phenomenon, but it is a spiritual phenomenon that is rooted in, it, it's, it finds its beginnings in, its purpose and its existence in Christ. It's built by Christ, filled by Christ, is the body of Christ. 
people gain entrance into the church by means of baptism through the Holy Spirit. And so it, it stands to reason, right, that the church ultimately transcends time and space. Um, it, it, it includes believers from every point in history up until now, and then even into the future until Christ returns from every corner of the world, from every history, every point in time and history. So this aspect, if we really kind of think about it, this aspect of the church is really what makes it universal. And and the universality or the universality of the church, the church being kind of a universal entity, is an important thing for us to hang on to, especially, especially as we kind of move through space and time and interact with local churches. And the local church is a part of the universal church, but the local church is not necessarily the universal church. So if we push this even further, right, the, the local church really is, is kind of the part of the universal church that can be seen, that can be touched, even if it's not always represented well within the local church. But here's an important caveat, important thing to remember about the local church. And that is that not everyone that's in the local church is actually a part of the universal church. Let me say that again, that while the local church is the part of the universal church that is visible to us. You can think of the universal church as kind of the invisible church, and then the local church as being the visible church. Even though the local church is the visible part of the universal church, it's the part of the universal church that can be seen. Not everyone in the local church is actually a part of the universal church. Now, as that kind of seeps in, it shouldn't be too hard to kind of wrap our minds around that. But I think as I talk about three groups that exist within the local church, this will become a little bit more clear. And specifically, what we want to look at is saved folks in the church, um, folks that are in the church that are unsaved but are churched, and then people in the church who are unsaved but are unchurched. Now, each of these groups contributes to the overall communal life and experience within that local church. The, the saved, the unsaved, but church and the unsaved, but unchurched. For instance, uh, if we, if we think about, well, I say, for instance, let's back up and actually talk a little bit more about who these people are, what these groups kind of consist of. So if we look at the unsaved, but unchurched group, um, these are folks who didn't grow up in the church. Uh, they don't necessarily have what we may consider a church background. Uh, they don't know church protocol, so to speak. Uh, they don't know kind of all the right things to say, when to stand up, when to sit down. Um, they don't know all the kind of cliche call and response that comes from just kind of having a background in church, having grown up in church. Uh, and, and they can be in a church, unsaved but unchurched, either because they're curious, right? They, they, they just want to know what all this church stuff is about. Maybe somebody invited them that they work, somebody uh, that they work with, somebody from their family said, Hey, why don't you come and visit my church or that church is in their neighborhood and, and they've passed it often. And so they said, Hey, let me just go in here and see what's going on in here. So they can just be curious or they can actually be more on the serious side of seeking 
and I guess more precisely, kind of being drawn, right? God is pricking their hearts and, and, and kind of drawing them in, pulling them towards himself. And so they haven't normally gone to church. They didn't grow up in the church, don't kind of understand church tradition and rituals and habits and behaviors and speak, but they find themselves within the church, either because, again, they're curious and just trying to check it out to see what's going on, or because uh, God is doing a work in their heart and kind of drawing them to himself. So that's the one group, the unsaved, but the unchurched. Then we have the unsaved, but churched. Now, this group is a group that actually did grow up in church, right? Uh, They know the vernacular. They know the traditions. They know the rules of church. You say uh, God is good. You know, they'll say all the time and you say all the time, they'll say God is good. They, they, they understand kind of the, the rules of engagement when it comes to church, not only kind of just the ritual part of church, but they also know biblical stories. They know biblical principles and precepts. Uh, they, they, they know the, the lessons that have been taught through the years in Sunday school and they have picked up, you know, the, the, the lessons from the sermons that the pastor has preached as well. So they are armed with biblical kind of knowledge of stories and, and principles and precepts. They understand kind of church uh, rituals and behaviors and uh, the rules of engagement. But, and this is an important, but they haven't repented. Uh, they haven't been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And so they have a knowledge of Christ but it's not a saving knowledge of Christ. They know he was born in a manger. They know that he started his ministry and his earthly ministry at 30 and for three years with the 12, you know, all those kinds of things. They can check kind of those trivial pursuit boxes about who Christ is and what the Bible talks about and who God is. But it hasn't translated into kind of a saving knowledge where they've made a decision to submit their lives to Christ. And that is not to say that they may not repent one day, but at this particular point in time, they are unsaved. They have been church. They've grown up in the church. They understand how church works and operates, but they haven't submitted their lives to Christ. And there is a a big pitfall for this group because sometimes, not all the time, but Sometimes this group, the unsaved but churched, they can confuse their practice of religion, the habits and the norms of a local church with actually being in relationship with Christ. They have the mindset that uh, religion right, says that I'm good with God because of what I know and what I do, um, the rituals, the, the habits, the traditions of church. Uh, what to say, what not to say, how to act in church, uh, how to act when you're around church people. So that kind of uh, ritual habit uh, makes them think that they're good with God. And also some of that ritual knowledge uh, that, like I talked about, kind of biblical principles and kind of um, facts about who Christ is and facts about what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches makes them feel like they're good with God because of what they know and, again, because of what they do. But they haven't moved into kind of relationship with Christ, which says, I'm good with God because of what Christ did for me. And as a result, I want to be connected to him. I want to be covered by him. I, I want to be bound to him. John 15, when when Christ is talking about 
him being the true vine. He talks about um, that you will produce fruit if you abide in him and he abides in you. And so there is this notion of moving beyond just kind of cerebral head knowledge about who Christ is, but then moving into really a relationship, a covenant intimate relationship with Christ that impacts and affects now your whole life. So in the church, right? Remember, we're talking about these three groups. There's the unsaved, but unchurched. There's the unsaved, but churched. And then of course, there's the saved, right? And the, the, the thing about this group really is that when you kind of think about it, the people who were in the first two groups we just talked about, the unsaved churched and the unsaved unchurched, actually, um, folks coming out of that group make up this saved group. If you really kind of just sit back and think about what the phenomenon is within most local churches. And so, you know, the, the group that is comprised of saved individuals, uh, they obviously have a relationship with Christ. It's moved beyond just religion. It's moved beyond just curiosity. It's moved beyond them just kind of seeking and trying to feel out what God is doing, but they have actually repented of their sins. They been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and now they are being sanctified by that same Holy Spirit and, and, and this work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification that is now helping to, to mold and to make them, to conform them, as the Bible says, into the image of Christ is, is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Anybody who has been a Christian for any length of time knows that sanctification is a process. Those things that you repented of when you came to Christ, in some cases, there's instant deliverance. We've heard of testimonies where God has has immediately changed someone's heart and desires about certain things. But for the vast majority of the sins that we struggle with, it's a process. It is a process of, as Paul talks about in Colossians, kind of a taking off of the old and a putting on of the new. And so it doesn't happen overnight. It, it is this process that takes time. So the fruits of the spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians five, like love, joy, peace, and patience, they aren't being produced. Well, they are being produced, but they aren't being fully realized. It's probably a better way to say it. Uh, they're not completely ripe. If we want to keep with the kind of the fruit metaphor here in the lives of this group within the church. So the question though really says, hey, these three groups, because as we kind of led into this discussion, the point that I was making is, is that these three groups actually have an impact, right, on the communal life of the church. And so if you think about what's happening here, each one of these groups contributes to the overall kind of experience that each person within these groups has within the local church. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind that no, nobody in either one of these groups is completely insulated or isolated from the impact that each one of these or the, 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 the contribution that each one of these groups makes to the communal life and the experience within the church. And here's something else too. It's, it's fluid. It's not an even breakdown, right? Any given local church can ebb and flow. You, you may have more saved people than you have unsaved. You may have more unsaved people than you have 
saved people. You may have more saved and unchurched than you have saved and church. You know, all these kinds of things and, and, and it's dynamic. And so this isn't to say that, you know, it's a, it's a 33, 33, 33 kind of percent split and, and it's always static. And, you know, as when one person moves from one, a new person gets added to the, to the mix there. But if we understand that, Hey, this is, this is an ebbing and flowing. It's a, a movement. And even within each one of these groups, there's some levels of kind of different maturity and, and different levels of, um, personal growth and, and, um, within these groups as well. What's happening though at a very high level is that each one of these groups, again, is, is contributing to the overall communal life and experience within the local church in, in ways that can damage in some cases or can encourage in other cases. Cause think about it like this. Whenever you have people coming together, trying to operate within an organization, it doesn't even have to be church. It can just be at work. It can be just in your neighborhood at an HOA meeting. It can be a school board. It can be any place where people are coming together. Everybody who's coming into that space is coming as a sinful individual with issues and proclivities and habits that aren't necessarily conducive to operating in unity, to treating everybody with love and with respect. Now, if we take that and put it into the church, the exact same thing is happening. The only difference is when we think about these three groups within the church, everybody's coming sinful. Everybody's coming with habits and and proclivities and things of that nature that work against unity within a body. But there's only one of these groups that has the Holy Spirit at work inside of them to try to move them beyond what their nature is. And so when issues start to arise, when uh, conflict uh, uh, comes up, I'm not saying that saved folks don't have issues. I'm not saying that saved people don't have conflicts. What I'm saying is, is that when those issues and conflicts invariably arise, each one of these groups is going to respond and react to those differently. The idea within the saved group is that you're seeking reconciliation. You're seeking uh, forgiveness. You're extending grace. You're, you're trying to exhibit the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, long suffering, all of those things as you are striving to deal with other people in unity and understanding. And so there's an eye towards, at least there should be an eye towards reconciliation, towards forgiveness, towards being accommodating, towards having patience so that when those issues arise, it doesn't cause a split. It doesn't cause a falling out. But what do we see sometimes in local churches? We see splits. We see falling out. We see folks being hurt and getting hurt. The kind of the mechanism that's at work within the church is no different than the mechanism that's at work outside of the church as far as what's driving some of those schisms. It's a sinful nature. But what should be at work as well is the Holy Spirit that is convicting folks and bringing them to a place of saying, hey, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Hey, I shouldn't have done that. Can we, can, can we be reconciled? Can, can we come back together? I acknowledge uh, my wrong in this, or I acknowledge how uh, I was short with you and those kinds of things. But if you also have groups of people within the church who don't have the Holy Spirit, 
operating within them, right? It's if you have the Holy Spirit operating within you, it's already a struggle to submit to the Holy Spirit and to be, as Paul says, filled and controlled by the Spirit. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit working within you, well, now you're apt to respond to all of those same dynamics that you get when people come together, but you're not going to respond to it in a Christ-like way. There's nothing inside of you that says, hey, that's not pleasing to God. There's nothing inside of you that says, hey, how would Christ do this? There's nothing inside of you that's that's moving you towards a place of conviction that says, this is not God honoring. This does not promote the unity that Christ has called his new community to, to live by and to, and to try to exemplify. And as such, you can have issues and conflicts and really hurtful situations and scenarios happening, not only amongst those that are saved. And I do mean really saved because again, it's a struggle. Sanctification is a process. But you can also have it now amongst groups that are unsaved and maybe even uh, more dangerously, that group that's kind of in the middle that is unsaved, but may think that they are actually saved because they know the business and the ritual and the habit of church. And when that mixes together, now as someone coming in from the outside, as you engage with people in the church, I think sometimes there's the assumption that everybody in the church is in that final group, saved and regenerated heart and being controlled and filled by the Holy Spirit. And that even within that group, everybody is mature, you know, halfway through or almost done with the sanctification process. But the truth of the matter is, is that even in saved group, there's a gradient of maturity, spiritual maturity. Then outside of that group, there's no presence of the Holy Spirit within individuals operating within that local church body. And so you're likely to get some of any kind of behavior, response, and interactions when you move into a situation like that. And to be clear, this is not an excuse for bad behavior in the church as much as it is a rationale for why we see bad behavior in the local church. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Complete in Christ podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode or series, you can send them to questions at completeinchristpodcast.org. Please include your name, where you're from, and the specific episode you're referencing. Also, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It gives us feedback that helps us to keep improving and provide some insight for those who may be listening for the very first time. Again, my name is Charles Wright, and until next time, be blessed.